Our scripture text this morning comes from First Peter chapter one, verses three through nine. I always encourage you to open up your copy of the scriptures because we believe that the scriptures are the inerrant, the inspired, the authoritative word of the true and living God. Uh, however, we've also printed the, this uh, our scripture passage in the bulletin this morning. Uh, for for your convenience, please hear the word of God. First Peter chapter one, beginning with verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we have read Your perfect Word that makes us wise unto salvation, Your perfect Word that is empowered by Your powerful Spirit. So I pray that You would so work in us, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe and obey Your Word. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. For Christians, Easter morning is to be the high point of the year where we rejoice and exalt in our risen Savior. And as we focus our hope, or as we focus on Him, our hope expands and we forget the troubles that gnaw at our very souls throughout the year. Actually, that's not true. That's pie-in-the-sky theology. It represents a very immature way of looking at the Christian life. It misrepresents the way that the Bible tells us to consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter wrote this letter, wrote First Peter to Jewish Christians who had left their homes and had moved to the surrounding countries in Asia Minor. And so if you have your Bibles open, you'll see in First in First Peter 1, Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These Jewish Christians 
had not simply picked up and moved to other countries. Rather, to state it more accurately, they had to flee Judea because of intense persecution. We spent well over a year working our way through the book of Acts. We saw how fierce the persecution was against those early um, Jewish Christians. Many, because of the persecution, fled up to the city of Antioch. But the Jews, so bent on uh, dragging the Christians off into jail and even uh, killing those that they could kill, chased them up to Antioch and they were again forced to flee from there as well. And because they were on the run, they could not pack in an orderly fashion. They certainly couldn't call up a moving van and have some movers uh, pack all their belongings in a very orderly way. They had to leave at night in many cases. And of course, being 2,000 years ago, they couldn't transfer their jobs. They could not go down to the local bank uh, once they had arrived in their new city and withdraw their savings. They essentially left everything and had to start with nothing. And when they arrived, regardless of whatever city in which they arrived, they moved into an anti-Christian society. They probably found a small enclave of Christians, uh, but otherwise, everything and everybody was against them. I mention this because we are living in very difficult times right now. Not nearly as difficult as the times in which these early Christians found themselves. But economically, our nation is suffering. A vast majority of Americans are carrying uh, burdensome debts that are continually weighing upon them. There's uncertainty in our foreign relations. There's uncertainty for our future economic stability. Everything, it seems right now, feels unsettled. And I haven't even begun to mention the personal trials and struggles that each of us face on a daily basis. Who among us lives a carefree life? I'm certainly not living a carefree life. My wife is not living a carefree life. My ten-year-old son, well, he, he's, he's kind of living a, a, a pretty carefree life. Uh, his, his sisters are not. Uh, his older sisters are not. I know many in the congregation are not living carefree lives um, either. Even those who right now are facing pretty calm waters in their life know that that is only a temporary blessing. That those, stir, those waters will soon again be stirred. That the winds of, of trial, of struggle will soon be blowing again. And not to press the gloom unnecessarily, but we also live 
in a society that is anti-Christian at its core. We like to say our country was founded on Christian principles, but now we have to battle just to keep what's left of our eroded foundations. Peter wrote this letter to the scattered Jewish Christians to remind them that in spite of their various trials, in spite of whatever suffering that they were presently enduring, that they could have hope. In fact, that they did have hope. And it wasn't just any hope. Rather, it was a living hope. And that this living hope would guard them as they lived and struggled through the trials of life. So here in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is this living hope? or what is, what is the hope here that Peter is speaking of? The New Testament idea of hope is very different than the way we tend to think of uh, hope or the way we tend to speak of hope um, here in our day and age. When we say to someone, for instance, I hope that the Rays, the Tampa, Ray, Tampa Bay Rays win the American League East this year. Uh, what we mean is we don't know if they will win, but it is certainly our desire that they win the National League East. I'm sorry, the American League East. Um, but it's uncertain. We don't know if they actually will win. But that's not the way Peter or the rest of the New Testament writers speak of hope. When the Bible speaks of hope, it is talking about something that we desire earnestly and have an absolute certainty of attaining. So Peter is saying that you have a hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A hope that came when you were born again. That this hope is a living hope. This hope points to something that you will absolutely receive. So what does this hope point to? This living hope in verse 3. Well, it points to uh, what is spoken of in verse 4. This living hope points to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Verse 5 says that those who have this hope are guarded by God's power so that you will absolutely, positively, unquestionably receive this inheritance. Verse 6, then if you 
we'll continue looking at the passage, says that this hope will guard you through the trials that you experience here in this life. And verse 7 says that this hope will hold you secure as the impurity and excesses of your life are purged away by God. This inheritance is fully defined in verse 9 as the salvation of your souls. And notice again that this hope is not simply called a hope. It is specifically called a living hope. It's called a living hope because this hope is secured by God Himself. It's not an impersonal desire. It's not some kind of formula where if you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this, then you receive this inheritance. It's not contingent upon you. It's a living hope because it's a hope that God gives you. And He secures that hope with His promise. And not only with His promise, but with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 5 says, Hope does not disappoint us. And this hope that that the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 verse 5 is speaking of is a hope that God gives us. He says, this hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His Holy Spirit into our hearts. In other words, this living hope is God Himself living in you, keeping you, changing you, bringing you to be with Him in heaven. It is a secure hope. That's why He says that it's imperishable. That's why He says it is undefiled. That's why He says it is unfading. This is a hope that God gives to you. This is the Holy Spirit living in your life and keeping you. So what, so what Peter is telling these first century Christians who are living in exile is that though they have been displaced from their homes, though they are going through struggles and trials that they couldn't have imagined when they first became Christian, that though they are going through things that may end in their death, and certainly um, also includes poverty, includes very probably imprisonment, includes uh, things that, frankly, we are strangers to here in, uh, in our society for the most part. He is saying that they have that hope. He is saying you have that hope. I look out and I see some of you who are going through unimaginable things things that I have never experienced. And I want to tell you, through Jesus Christ, you have this living hope that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. God is saying to you, as well as those first century Christians, 
that He has provided for you a living hope that will carry you through any trials that come your way. Nothing can rob you of your salvation. Nothing can rob you of your relationship with God. And that's good news. Whatever comes your way, whatever has come your way in the past, you have this living hope in Jesus Christ. Why do you have it? Well, verse 3 says you have it because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so I want you to look with me again. Even though I've read it a couple of times, it is so important. It says, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Bible teaches that from the moment we are born, because of Adam's sin, we are born spiritually dead. We are born separated from God. And there is nothing that we could ever do that would make us acceptable to God. No matter how many good works we do, no matter how many good desires we have, we're separated from God. We're unacceptable to Him. But on the cross, Jesus Christ suffered death for spiritually dead people. He bore our sins in His body on the cross. Listen to the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter 3.18. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. We who are alienated from God, we who are separated from God, He suffered. He died for sins to bring us to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. There is no other way to fellowship with God. There is no other way to be brought from your spiritual death into spiritual life and life and relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. That's why He came and died on the cross. <coughs> and when Jesus rose from the grave, His resurrection certified that Jesus bore our sins on the cross. And not only that, but that He paid for those sins. And not only that, but that through Him we have access to God. And not only that, but God is for us. Nothing can be against us. That God loves us enough to send His Son to die on the cross for us. And that He is with us regardless of whatever trials we should suffer. But there's a problem. And the problem is this. Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago. We this morning are celebrating Easter. 
We this morning are celebrating Christ's resurrection. We this morning are celebrating something that took place 2,000 years ago. So how does, that, how does His death and His resurrection become relevant for us today? Well, again, in verse 3, it says that He caused us to be born again into this living hope. What does it mean to be born again? Let's let the Scripture teach us what it means to be born again. Let's let Peter teach us what it means to be born again. In, verse, in chapter 1, verse 23, he says, "...since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God." In other words... He's talking here about being born again. And he says, well, here's how you're born again. It's through the perfect, the imperishable, the living and abiding Word of God. What does the Word of God teach us about? It teaches us about Jesus. It teaches us about His death on the cross. It teaches us about His resurrection. The Scriptures teach us about the Gospel. And so, as we hear about the Gospel, if you're here this morning and are not a Christian or don't know if you're a Christian, what you're doing right now is you're hearing the Word of God. You're hearing the Gospel of God. You're hearing His good news about how Jesus came to save sinners. And as you hear that, hear this Gospel... God the Holy Spirit is always at work using His powerful Word. And you suddenly say, I believe this. I want to trust in Jesus Christ. I need to trust in Christ because I can't trust myself. And that's the first time you've ever had that thought. That's the Holy Spirit causing you to be born again. You may not see Him at work. You may not feel Him at work. Jesus says to Nicodemus that He's like the wind. We don't see Him, but His effects are powerfully known to us. And you suddenly are believing the Gospel. That is the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And so, how does this gospel, or how does this resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago become relevant for us? The Holy Spirit works in our life. He causes us to believe it. And as He causes us to believe it, He causes us to reach out and embrace Jesus Christ, to take hold of Him, to trust in Him with all our hearts. And He becomes suddenly most important to us. All the other stuff in life becomes less important. And here's the good news about all this as it relates to the trials that we experience here in this life. These, these um, as, as we become believers and as we have this living hope that is guarding us, that is keeping us, that is pulling us through life even as we go through the uh, trials 
that uh, that beset us, we will not stumble or fall. In fact, those trials become friends for us, as painful as they are. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter five, uh, verse three. He says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produce, produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us or put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. In other words, these trials that are so painful, they become our friends because They make us more like Jesus. And we know as we are going through those trials that God will never leave us or forsake us. That He is guarding us through this living hope. And so, uh, to bring um, our meditation here on Scripture to a close, look at verse 8. He says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. This is the results of this living hope. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with joy, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You have a living hope if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. This living hope comes as a result of Christ's resurrection from the dead and it is secure to you. It is, a res- it, it is a hope that will never uh, perish, that will never be defiled, that will never fade away. And so as you live your lives as Christians, as you live your lives with the struggles and trials that beset your life, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you can triumph and grow in Christ through them all. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank You that because Christ has risen from the dead, we now have this living hope. And because we have this living hope, we have an assurance that can never be taken away from us. And because we have this assurance that can never be taken away from us, we can rejoice even in our trials knowing that they are... They are friends sent to us to make us more like Jesus because You are working all things together for our good. You are loving us even through the hardships and pains and sufferings that come our way. God, I pray, as I know that there are many who are suffering this morning, that You would encourage them through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that they have a living living hope that is imperishable, undefiled, and will never fade away, but rather secure their place in heaven with You and will secure their relationship with You as they go through their present trials. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.